Now, Romans chapter 1, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn there with me. We're starting a new series today called Gospel Fluency, and we're really excited about it. Now, gospel fluency, obviously you've heard us use that word gospel a bunch, and you will continue to hear us use this word gospel a bunch. It's a word that means good news. Specifically in this context, we're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, but this word fluency, usually you've heard it used in terms of language. Like some people are fluent in a language. I'm still trying to get fluent in the one language I speak, all right? And by the end of this message, there will be multiple times where you will say, he is not fluent, and that's okay. Some of you in here may actually be fluent in multiple languages. That always amazes me that God has blessed people with the capacity and amazing mind that can be fluent in multiple languages. It basically just means to be able to communicate and articulate clearly in a language. So what we're hoping to do is develop gospel fluency where we are people who can speak, live, and apply the gospel of Jesus Christ into every single area of our lives. For about seven years, I served as a worship pastor at a church in the Dallas area. And when I was there, about a third of our church was Hispanic. I think that number has even grown uh, since God has moved me from that wonderful church there. And and while I was there, uh, we had this gifted lady who would lead us in the worship for the Spanish portion of our service. We were just like here at Crossroad. We are definitely a multi-generational church. We sing some newer songs and some older songs, but we did that there. But we also sang some songs in English and some songs in Spanish. So uh, we would do that, and there was this gifted woman who led that, but God moved her and her husband to another church to start a church somewhere else. So we had a problem. There wasn't anybody to lead the songs in Espanol. So that fell on the worship pastor. So I was like, okay, I got to do this. So I literally would take my guitar upstairs to our pastor's office who spoke Spanish and I'd be like, all right, let's do this. And I would just practice and practice. I would sing him songs and he would go, you can't pronounce it that way. That's crazy. So he would work with me and we worked to the point that I was able to get up on stage and actually lead the English and the Spanish portions of our worship service. That all sounds great, but here was the difficult part. Sometimes after church, just like I do here, I hang around. If you want to visit with me, I'd love to talk with you. I would be meeting people, talking to folks, and one of our Hispanic members would walk up and just jump into Spanish trying to have a conversation with me. And at that point, I had nothing, right? Like, all I could do, let me just tell, this is, I'm going to say it in English, but all I could tell them was this in Spanish. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Our God is awesome. He can move the mountains. Surround us with your love, Lord. You know what I'm saying? Adios, right? Like, that's all I could do. It became very obvious to them very quickly that I did not speak Spanish. They were always very gracious and kind to me. In fact, I tried to learn Spanish. Didn't go very well. I found that most of my friends who were trying to help me teach were actually usually sabotaging me. So it just didn't work out. Uh, And I wasn't able to do that. The reason I share that story with you is because I think a lot of us are gospel fluent like I am fluent in Spanish. We know enough that in certain moments and in certain settings, we can fake our way through it. We kind of know enough terms to throw it out there and make it seem like we've got everything together. But when you really drill down to it, we're not actually clear with the way we articulate the truth of the gospel. Now, I want to just say for for many of you sitting in here right now, you may be thinking, oh, wow, that's me. 
And if that's you, I just want to tell you that if you are in Christ, if Jesus is your Savior, then you belong to Him. There is nothing that changes that. So let me just say it this way. You didn't have a theological test given to you when you accepted Christ as your Savior. That's not how that works. Many of you are in Christ today, even though you may not be able to even articulate what actually happened to bring you to that point in your life, okay? So if that's you, here's what I'm hoping this series will do for us. I'm hoping to give us language to explain what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives. It's critical that we be able to explain this gospel and what it is and what it means for us. Because the gospel is the foundation of the Christian life. The gospel is the foundation of everything that we do as a church family. So it is just absolutely pivotal that we grasp this and understand this. So it's going to take us a few weeks to do that. So I want to ask you to do something. I know that it's hard to make it several weeks in a row and that life gets in the way of that. Uh, This is going to be a six-week series. So I just want to encourage you, if you miss a week, don't just say, oh, well, I'll catch up next week. Every one of these messages is going to be pretty critical. So if you miss, first of all, I would just encourage you to try to make it, okay? But if you can't make it every week... Hop online, get on the podcast, or go to crossroad.live and listen to the message so that you can keep up with where we are as God kind of works this series in and through us. So I'm pumped about it, if you can't tell already. I have had a donut and coffee, so that's part of it. But I'm also just really excited about this message. So let's dive into God's Word, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16. We're going to read a couple verses. I'll say a little bit, and then we'll finish this section. Verse 16, Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul starts this section of his letter off by saying it is all about the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the very power for salvation. Everything in our life revolves around knowing and living out the truth of the gospel. Paul had not been to Rome yet, but he really wanted to be, but to this point had been providentially hindered. And because he couldn't get there, uh, we don't really know why the Lord didn't allow him to get there sooner. But I believe perhaps one of the reasons is so we would have this letter. Because Paul had not been there, he wanted to make sure that they got all the truth that he could give them. So he sits down and writes this magnificent letter that we have in our Bible that we call the book of Romans. And through these first 11-ish chapters, he is unloading the absolute truth of the gospel, perhaps in the most compelling and full way that we have in all of the scriptures. It is really almost taking it apart, the nuts and bolts of it, putting it all back together, and it is just an incredible and absolutely beautiful picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means for us. So this is where we're going to camp out for the next few weeks and some different selections from here as we see what the gospel is and what it means for us. So let's continue reading here in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Check out this list. Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Will you pray with me again? Lord, we come to a text that is heavy, where we feel the weight of this. But God, we want to see your truth in such a way that it leads us to your love. So God, I pray that by your spirit, you will help us to do that. Give me clarity of thought and speech. And Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts ready to receive, and hands and feet that are ready to walk out the truth that you deliver to us today. Thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a very, very heavy passage. Uh, uh, at this point, I would just say some of you may feel like this dude just baited and switched us, right? Like, if I was like, hey, here's a story. I can't speak Spanish, LOL. The wrath of God, right? <laughs> like, that hits us hard, doesn't it? But but I believe that it's critical for us to grasp what's happening here. You may be thinking, I thought we were talking about the gospel. You said gospel is good news, but it's important for us to understand that before we can understand the good news, we have to know why we need good news, we have to know the bad news. We need to talk about our need for a Savior. You know, many people that you talk to today about Jesus, if you're trying to witness to someone or just share your faith story, in the midst of that, you may be hearing this response, well, why do I need Jesus? I'm a good enough guy. I'm glad that works for you, but I don't particularly need Jesus. The reality is, though, when we are done studying this passage, I hope that you will be convinced, not by me, but through the word of God, that every single person under creation is in desperate need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that here. So this is why it's important that we talk today about the wrath of God. So I want you to lean in. This may be a shocking message for you. It, it may be uh, that it's difficult for you to hear this, but I'm convinced that we cannot truly understand the love of God until we understand the wrath of God. When you understand how much God hates sin, 
then his love and mercy becomes so compelling and so much more powerful than the worldly, warm, fuzzy feeling kind of idea that is so uh, full in our world and so everywhere that we turn that we normally associate with God. So let's consider this together. Almost immediately as we begin to read this passage, it kind of shocks our system. We don't like to think of God as having wrath. But this is a very biblical concept. I don't want you to say, oh, here we go. Rusty's one of those hellfire and brimstone guys. I knew it. We shouldn't have caught He's, he's got some Baptist in him. We shouldn't have done that, I'm telling you. But, but I don't consider myself that. You know what I try to be? Church, I want to be a Bible guy. That's what I want to be, and that's what I want us to be. And when you read the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are over 600 references to the wrath of God. Now, some of you may be thinking, yeah, that's where the wrath of God belongs. Leave that stuff in the Old Testament. In fact, there are actually Christian scholars who would call themselves Christian scholars who will say that. Well, the wrath of God, that's Old Testament stuff, but we're in the New Covenant now. But can I just tell you with full confidence that God didn't just completely change himself halfway through the Bible. But rather in the Old Testament, we see that God does have wrath towards sin and sinners. Yet at the same time, we see that God is love and that God is a God of mercy and grace who is always giving out opportunities. He's reaching out to people and trying to draw them to himself. And if that's not convincing enough, we're reading in the New Testament right now. This is a letter, Romans, that was written to the early church. And in verse 18, it very clearly says the wrath of God is revealed. It doesn't say long ago in a Bible far, far away there was wrath. No, it says the wrath is revealed. So I want us to think about this. It's important to understand what the wrath of God is. And I think to understand it, we almost have to start with what the wrath of God is not. When we hear wrath, we immediately think in human terms. When you think about wrath, you probably think of red-faced, out-of-control anger and rage and hatred. And that certainly is the human view of wrath. But we must remember that God is not a human. God is not a human. Instead, God's wrath is his righteous response to sin and sinners. God's wrath is always under control, it is always right, and it is always just. You see, God's wrath is tied to God's holiness. God is perfect and holy. We talked about that at length last week. God is perfect and holy, and if he's perfect and holy, then he is always right and he is always just. And if God is always right and always just, he cannot tolerate and accept sin and rebellion. Because he wouldn't be a righteous and just God if he did. Think about it in just a real basic, easy to understand way. What if your entire family was murdered? Good morning. Glad to have you here today. Uh, Imagine that, though, and, and that if the killer was brought to trial before a judge and convicted guilty, but then when it came time for sentencing, the judge said... You know, guys, I, you know, I'm kind of a loving person. It's just, you know, like, I just kind of love everybody, so, you know what, we're just going to let him go. What would we say about that judge? We would say that he or she was unjust first. We would say they are not just. We would say that they are clearly not right. And we might actually, in fact, say that they are evil. 
The reality is God cannot be holy, righteous, and just without punishing sin and evil. And this is where the problem comes in for you and me. Because some of you are like, yeah, amen, he should punish murderers. But what's the Bible say? In fact, Jesus ramps things up considerably, doesn't he? What did Jesus say? If you've ever had an angry thought towards someone, then you've murdered it. So uh, we're all guilty, y'all. You, you may think you're good, but every single one of us, according to the Scripture, is a sinner. Every one of us have rebelled against God. So here's the reality. Every single person who is in here today either was or is still under the wrath of God. We deserve death. We deserve punishment. We are deserving of the righteous wrath of God. A holy God has wrath towards sin and sinners today. Paul's going to start this section off by basically making sure that we understand everyone is guilty. He's really even going to kind of build this point through the first couple, really three chapters of Romans. I may encourage you, if you have extra time in your Bible reading plan to fit it in, you may want to read the first three chapters of Romans. That may prepare you for what we're going to study next Sunday morning together. But as you're looking through this, you're going to see that Paul is very clear that nobody has an excuse. All of us are without excuse. Humanity has intentionally rejected God. God has revealed himself to us, and we have chosen to go our own way. Verse 18 even says that we have intentionally suppressed the truth of God. Paul goes on in verse 25, I think really to reveal the root of every single sin in our lives. Every single sin, I think, can be tied back to what we see in verse 25. Look at it with me. It says this, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Listen, church, this is humanity's problem. God created us to worship him and enjoy him forever, to have a perfect relationship with a perfect and holy God. And everything that God has created and blessed us with has been given to us so that we could enjoy that and in turn Rejoice and worship the God who gave us all of this wonderful creation. But here's what we've done. We've taken the creation and worshipped it instead of the creator that the creation was designed to point us to. Let's talk about how this works itself out in our lives. Food. Food is a wonderful gift that God has created and given to us. Amen? All right. Some of you aren't convinced. Go eat a donut and come back in here. All right? Food is an amazing gift, and here's the reality. There are tons of creatures out there today that nourishment is just like a passive process. It's just something they do. But food is enjoyable for us. God has created us and wired us. We have around 10,000 taste buds, and all of that is so that we can enjoy foods. We can taste sweet. We can taste salty. We can taste sour. We can taste whatever vegetables taste like, right? Like, I don't know. You just got to explain that to me, but... It's an amazing thing that God has given us and blessed us with. And when we enjoy food, it ought to be something that we say, God, you are so good for blessing us with this. But when we begin to worship food, then it leads to gluttony. God created sex, and it is a good thing in the confines of how God has created it to work. Again, there are animals and creatures that it is not procreation, it's just something they do. In fact, a lot of animals, they just like die after they procreate, right? Like it's just over, like I'm out. 
Here's the thing. God has created even that for us to, when we enjoy that in the confines that he has created to be enjoyed, that we say, God, you are so good for blessing us with that. But when we begin to worship the gift instead of the gift giver, it becomes all kinds of distorted sexual immorality. And you can see that in a culture that definitely worships sex today. That it becomes all kinds of crazy sexual immorality that destroys Life as God intended it to be, instead of being what God actually brought it to give life, it ends up destroying life. I've told you before that if you want to ruin your career, worship your job. Make your job your God. Because then, instead of taking this gift, God gave you a job so that you could provide for your family. And even you could come together and we could all partner together, giving in the church, so that we can continue to advance the kingdom together. God's blessed you with that for those purposes, yet we begin to worship our job and make it all about us, and instead of worshiping God through our job, it consumes us. So a blessing becomes a burden in our life that leads us to sin. If you want to ruin your relationship, make your spouse your God. God has given you that spouse to be a kingdom partner so that you could advance the gospel together. Make it all about you and you take a blessing and turn it into a burden that actually leads you away from God. I could go on, but I think you get what's happening here. We take the blessings that God has given us and when we worship those blessings, they actually become burdens that lead us into sin instead of worshiping the gift giver who gave us those gifts. This is humanity's problem. And because this is true, all humanity is under the wrath of God apart from Jesus and his help. So the question remains, well, what does wrath look like? Because some of you are like, all right, preacher, you're telling me that I'm under the wrath of God, but like I drove here, no like fireballs came down from the sky, so I don't really know what you're talking about. But let's talk about how the wrath of God is actually revealed. A couple of things we need to see. First, this text very clearly shows us that the wrath of God is revealed today. The wrath of God is revealed today in the present. If you are not in Christ, if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior right now, you are under the wrath of God. Notice in this passage, one of the recurring phrases you will see is this. God gave them up. I tried to emphasize that in the reading of God's word earlier. God gave them up. We see that in verses 24 and verses 26 and verse 28. It says that God gave them up. The wrath of God is revealed today in the way that God lets us go. In the way that God gives us up to the reality and consequences of our sinful choices. Some would call this God's passive wrath. That's what theologians would call this. See, God loves us and God created us to worship him and have a relationship with him. And when we surrender to him, we realize that his commands are not a burden. They're not a beating in our life. But instead, God's commands are the path to his blessing. God doesn't tell us to do things to hold us back. But instead, he wants us to live our best life in him. And that happens when we're walking in his blessings. But way too many of us have bought into the lie of the enemy. By the way, this lie goes all the way back to Genesis. Do you remember what the devil told Adam and Eve? Oh, did God really say you shouldn't eat this? Oh, man, because when you eat this, it's going to be awesome. That's the still lie. That's the lie that we fall for this very day. Did God really say that this is how you should live your life? Did God really say this? Did God really say that? 
there's a better way out there. And when we say, hey, God, thanks, but I'm going to go my own direction. God's wrath is revealed to us today in the way that he says, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Some of you have gone your own way and and you know that when you do, there are consequences. You may be living today in the consequences of God's wrath. Your sinful choices can lead you to a tough place. Some of you may not be in a tough place today and you say, well, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. But listen, if you continue to walk away from the Lord, it's coming. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to men, but in the end it leads to death. You could be walking towards your death today and you don't even know it. But here's the crazy thing in this to me. Even God's passive wrath is actually a demonstration of his love and his grace. See, God longs for us to wake up and come to the reality that we are not following him. He wants us to wake up and realize there is a better way than this. Do you remember the prodigal son where he finds himself, I'm eating out of a hog trough. What am I doing? In that moment, he says, I'm going home. I believe that God today longs for us to come to those moments of realization where we recognize there's a better way than this. I don't have to live this way. For some of you, that's your testimony. Some of you said, I've even heard some of you share your story that I got to a place where it was tough. My choices led me to a place where I was not experiencing life and I recognized there's a better way. I need Jesus. And he redeemed you and he saved you. Now, friends, I want to be completely honest with you today. It could almost sound like if you're in the pit today and if you find yourself in that place, you're like, oh, good. All I got to do is get saved and all this goes away. But I'm pretty sure that you have friends around you who could tell you, yeah, Jesus has saved me and he's redeemed my life. But there are still consequences I'm walking in from my past. Some of you will probably carry scars with you the rest of your life because of consequences of sin in your past. But did you know that even those Jesus can redeem and use those for your good and his glory. There's a better way. There's a better way. God's wrath can actually lead us to his love. Isn't this beautiful? If you find yourself there today and you say, I've made sinful choices, I've gone my own way, it's not working out, then the Lord desires that you would experience him today. God's wrath is revealed to us as he chooses to let us walk away from him. So while God's wrath is revealed today, the next truth is this. God's wrath will be revealed in the future. God's wrath will be revealed in the future. So God's wrath is revealed today in the way that he lets us go our own direction. But the good news is, is that today, as you've heard me preaching, there is still opportunity to repent. There is still opportunity to be saved. But here's the reality. One day, there will be no more opportunities to return to Jesus. The word of God is clear. God's wrath will be poured out eternally on those who choose to reject Christ forever. If that sounds shocking to you, it is. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-10, if you have a study guide, 
There's a misprint. It says 1 Thessalonians. It's actually 2 Thessalonians, so you can make that change. Here's what it says. There will be a day when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Friends, this is serious today. It's why it's important that we start here as we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are not in Christ today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are under the wrath of God. And God, even today, is graciously giving you this opportunity. You may not have even expected to show up here in this place today. I don't even know what brought you here. But can I tell you, God knew that you would be here to hear this message from his word. That says there is still time to come to Christ. He still calls sinners to repent and come to him. You can't clean your own life up. I'm not asking you to start coming to this church. I'm not asking you to start being a good person. I'm not asking for anything other than for you not to leave this place today without knowing Jesus. Because without knowing Jesus, you are under the wrath of God. And there will be a day where there will not be opportunities to repent. When our service is over, there will be pastors and deacons down in this corner right over here. And they would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. We want to help you understand what it means to be saved and to experience Jesus. Because this is where the gospel becomes good news. Some of you are like, I came for a good news sermon. This guy's been talking about wrath for 30 minutes. This is where it becomes good news. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ... The wrath of God and the love of God intersect. God loved you and I enough, even though we were rebels against him, even though we had chosen to say, no, thanks, God, I'll go my own way. God loved us enough that he pursued us, not just a little bit, y'all, not just a little bit, not like, hey, come back. No, he came down, put on flesh and dwelt among us to the point that he followed God in obedience all the way to the cross. And as he hung on the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God. God poured out this wrath that we've been talking about, that you and I deserve, was poured out on Christ on the cross. And Jesus Christ absorbed the fullness of God's wrath so that you and I could experience the fullness of God's love. He took all of God's wrath so that we could experience all of God's love. And he loves us enough that he is calling out to us today saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Are you tired of going your own direction? Are you worn out? Are you weary today? If that is you, Jesus desires that you would come to him. He stands ready to save you and change your life forever. Next week, we're going to spend a great deal of time talking about the details of the atonement and how this happened and what this means for us. But again, you don't need to wait until next week. If you know today that you are under God's wrath, let that lead you to the cross. Let the wrath of God lead you to the cross of Christ where you can for the first time experience the love of God in its fullness. God loves you today. There's nobody who's too far away from the love of God. You may be under his wrath today, 
But his love for you is so great that he died on the cross to take the wrath that you deserved so that he could have a relationship with you. Do you see how this gives us a picture of the gospel in a more beautiful way than perhaps we've understood before? I think a lot of people understand the gospel. I call it the black and white gospel. We understand the basics and we're like, okay, so I need to do this to get saved. But when we start to understand the gospel in this way, when we know how much God hates sin and opposes sin, and when we know that we're a sinner, then all of a sudden we begin to see the love of God in brilliant color in ways we've never seen it before. If you need to come to Jesus today, I pray that you would make that decision. When our service is over, that you would come and talk to one of our deacons or pastors. If you already know Jesus, can I just tell you the response is still the same. The response for you should be to come to the cross and remember what Jesus has done. Maybe appreciate it today in a way that maybe you haven't before. And let this gospel take root in your life in such a way that it changes everything about who you are. I'm going to ask our worship team to make their way up here today. These are always weird endings for me. I was, uh, listen, good communicators wouldn't do what I'm doing right now, but this isn't a speech. This is family. So can we talk for a second? Family chat. It's like, how do you end this service? It's like, hey, Pastor Nathaniel, do your best Wrath of God song, okay? Uh, <laughs> he's been working on it all week. Wrath of God. Like, I don't know, right? What, what do you do? But can I tell you, I believe there's a very clear response here. We're going to sing a song called Indescribable. And this song essentially just declares how high above us God is, that he is indescribable. We can't understand him, but here's the amazing thing. This God who is so high above us loves us enough that he came and took on flesh to do what we could never do for ourselves. That is give us life. So if you don't know that life, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. But if you know that life, I pray that you would sing this with a new voice today. With a refreshed heart and an energized mind that is ready to say, the gospel has saved me. It's keeping me today and one day I will spend eternity with Jesus. Because he loved me enough to save a sinner like me. Will you stand with us in an attitude of worship and prayer? Let me pray for us and then we'll worship. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your word that delivers truth that seems harsh at first. Yet, Lord, when we understand how dark our lives were, we see how powerful your blood that was shed for us was, that it washed us clean that you absorbed the wrath of God that we deserve so that we might have life. May we walk in that life.